Hello and welcome to week 51 of 2018 Read Through the Bible with your non-angelic host, Jeff and Kelly. My name is Kelly. (laughs) Who are you? Well, by default, I would then be Jeff. Why are you so antagonistic about saying your name? I don't know, it just seems weird that we have to continually introduce ourselves to the same five people every week. You don't know, though. Someone could just, like, randomly pop in to First Peter. It's true, but again, your name is Kelly, my name is Jeff. And so you sound like a Kelly, and I sound like a Jeff. So I'm pretty sure they'd be able to pick up on the Jeff Kelly thing. I like the introduction. Okay. How was your week? Fine. Great. Mine was, too. Good. Okay, this week we are covering First and Second Peter, First, Second, Third, John, Jude. So, we're going to dive right in and do the 51st episode of the year. In other words, this is the penultimate episode. Yeah, well, we're hanging on by our our proverbial uh, fingernails there to... uh, A thread. To get through this. One more week I have to talk to my sister before I am released. I know. That's why I was like, yes, I'm available. 207. Let's do this. Let's get it done. Yeah. I got some Christmas cookies to make. Oh, Mm. my goodness. I made, like, pretend Reese's peanut butter cups last yesterday. I have to make more because everyone loves them. Wow. That doesn't happen every day. No, it doesn't. Hence my excitement that someone would actually like something I did. Yeah, well, hey. Very exciting. Nice job. You deserve a pat on the back. Thank you. Pat, pat, pat. I just did. Right in time with you. So that worked. Go. Okay, I got good tempo. We played in church this morning, so all about the temple. Tempo. Played in church? Like in a nursery? <laughs> no, I played piano. You play a box? And I say we because Steve played guitar. Oh, nice. Yeah. I got to play a song with our friend who plays the cello, and I do enjoy a good cello song around Christmas time. You got any pudding pops? That was very nice. What? Any pudding pops? No. Cello and pudding pops? No cello pudding pops? (laughs) No, but maybe tomorrow. We have more services tomorrow, so maybe I'll pull out the cello pudding pops tomorrow. Right. Oh, boy. Okay, let's get into First Peter. Obviously, Peter wrote the first and the second letter of these, so we'll kind of group those together when we talk about our friend Peter. I'm a fan of this man because we've met him throughout the Gospels, and Acts mentions him, and I like him very much because he seems really relatable and also I like that within first Peter he talks about maturity and maturing in the faith and keeping your eyes on that imperishable inheritance that we have in Christ and it just seems like he's really it's almost like he's the easiest one for me to watch mature in his faith if that makes sense Paul says that thing in there I forget forget where it's in one of the pastoral epistles it says to the church leaders that you're something along the lines of let your growth be seen by everyone and to me that's what peter is it's like you because so much of his life is covered that it's like you see this guy's growth from the gospels through acts through you know paul's interaction in galatians 
Whereas Paul, he's kind of, I think Paul, it's a little bit of an exception where he's just like 100% against the 100% for. He's just like completely yeah. flips around. Whereas like yeah. Peter, I think Peter is more typical of what happens is that there's like this real painful <laughs> letting go of the old habits and adapting the new one and yet clearly making progress throughout the whole thing. And so, yeah, Peter's kind of cool. I want to say he's my favorite, but I don't think you're supposed to play favorites in the kingdom of God. You're not because, you know, Apollo and Paulus and Cephas, they're all on the same team. Well, obviously, Paul has taught me a lot through his writing and James. I like James, but, oh, I don't know. I have a special friendship with my friend St. Peter. Is he going to greet me at the pearly gates? He is not. That is a <laughs> that is a uh, make-believe thing. The pearly gates legend. are not of heaven. There are pearly gates. The 12 gates of the New Jerusalem are made of pearls. So there is no pearly gate to get into heaven. Furthermore... Peter, I believe the reason why they say that is because Peter was the guy that they were saying the keys are given, you know, whatever you bind yeah. and loose, that yeah. whole thing. So uh-huh. I think that's where that's all from, but I don't really know what the whole Peter at the gate thing is. Yeah. To be honest. It's, well, you can kind of, like you're saying, you can kind of see different elements uh, of it. It's like loosely there. Yeah. Yeah. And then somehow it got all pulled together into like a joke that yeah. the New York Times likes to do. Yeah. It's a little so, lectern, like the the person at the restaurant that takes right. your name. You know, it's like, oh, <laughs> yes. where is this coming from? Reservation Like, there's going to be a decision, one? like, when you show up there. It'd be like, yeah, let me check the list. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I mean, it's like there's this whole, like, judgment by God in there. It's like, I, uh, this is mm-hmm. weird. I don't know. It's weird. People are weird. People are weird. That's weird. All right. So, First Peter, do you have any, like, general summary over it? Seems to me he's talking to a lot of persecuted people. He's got, you know, he's another guy that keeps talking about holding fast and tribulation and, you know, you suffer for righteousness sake, all that kind of stuff. So I think he's writing to early church people very much beat up. Uh, there's also some similarities with, you know, Paul and the other guys talking about the, like, for instance, he's got that authority issue again. Chapter 2 is all about authority, government, servants in the chapter 3, husband, wife thing. So that that is a very much similar to Paul, uh, his authority stuff. He's got a lot of appeals to be holy. It's in chapter 1 there, be holy, for I am holy. Uh, mm-hmm. So he's, he's very, again, he's very practical. But he's got also some very beautiful descriptions of the gospel and stuff in there too. Mm-hmm. I like the reminder that the persecution and life on earth here is temporary, but the inheritance is permanent. He keeps pointing out those differences and reminding us to focus on the permanence um, that will not disintegrate and that no one can destroy. Um, he also does a lot. If you just go through and circle names for God, God the Father, for instance, verse 2 God the Father in the sanctifi- sorry, sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. It was helpful for me to go through and just circle all the names for Christ. And obviously I also mean like the Father and the Spirit. Um, it's kind of just cool. It's a good way to get the sense from uh, 
Peter and John, they're, if, when you put them on the artsy-fartsy to the intellectual side, it seems like John is like way over on artsy-fartsy side. Peter's on mm-hmm. the artsy-fartsy side. Paul is like insanely on the intellectual side. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's kind of cool again that you see the the interaction of the personalities because we're all different, and I think that's the cool thing of all the different guys. I noticed that too, like with the prophets and you know the gospel writers and then the epistle writers. They're they're different people, and to me that's mm-hmm. that's a very cool thing. That just because this is the way you would describe it, you know, doesn't it's not always the way other people describe it. If somebody else describes it slightly different from you. That's okay. You know, I mean, as long as you're not mm-hmm. being heretical, of course, but right, it's, just, right. it's just cool that there are just different personalities. You could see the personalities and how they describe things. I just think it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Whereas like God, you know, Paul, he's, he's when he talks about God, it's just God, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's like God Like Erwin Lutzer. Do you know Erwin Lutzer, the pastor at Woody Church? Yes. He says God. And yeah. that's how I think of Paul. Whereas, like, Peter, he's got the different names. And, of course, John is just, like, love everywhere, you know. So it's yeah. like he's just all flowers and, well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's hippie? You know what I mean. I was going to say dope smoking. But I'm not going to accuse John of no, being a dope no. smoker. I'm just yeah, saying. No. They're different. They're all different. That's what I'm saying. That's all yes. I'm saying. I'm not accusing anybody of anything. No. No. Okay, verse 8 and 9, um, I picked these out, well, backstory, backstory. This last fall, I helped co-lead a group through First Peter, and we listened to some teaching on it, and we were supposed to pick out verses that we wanted to memorize out of First Peter. So I picked verses 8 and 9 of the first chapter, and throughout my study of that and throughout reading his words here, I thought that these words would be really cool words to hear Peter say to you, whether it's at the pearly gates or not. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Those two verses, um, every week we had to read First Peter as we went through this study and Every single time I read First Peter, those two verses jumped out at me. Um, so those were my verses I picked to focus on during the study. Cool. So it was kind of fun to read them again this week. Those are so cool, though. Can you imagine being said that to you from Peter? Being said that to you? Being <laughs> yes. Yes, it's very I grammatical. think I can. And then you mentioned briefly that Peter does call out the holiness thing, and that is in verse 15 and 16, you shall be holy for I am holy. So we've talked about that a few times as we've gone through the Bible, that you are called to be holy. And when you move into chapter two, so put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all slander, um, the idea of putting away those things also implies that we're putting on the opposite of those things. So with what you've been saying a few times that there's an action on our part, it's to put off this, but put on this. And that is in the process of being holy. And holy means sanctified, set apart, 
it's we're no longer for common use we're being used for something higher and that's the concept behind the word holy it's not just being a good little boy it's separate this i'm i'm no longer just a pile of dirt i'm now a chosen vessel so it's cool the standards are God's standards right. of holiness. Right. It's not just, oh, you're a good little girl because you're obeying what someone told you to do. Right. No, that's not the point. And you're not set apart special because you think you're special. It's because you're set apart for God's usage. So it's not like some self-esteem thing either. It's You're here for God's usage to do what it is God wants you to do with yourself that he gave you. And then mm-hmm. the other part of being holy in that whole thing is gets into that authority issue that carries on down through there, submitting to the government, servants to masters, mm-hmm. that stuff in chapter 2, which again is very similar to Paul. And again, that just brings across the idea of me submitting to an authority, which ultimately is God, and that takes a lot of humility. Like, it's not about me. It's not about me fighting for this and this and this. Right. It's me... Submitting myself to someone else um, in the grand scheme of things. And it's also not just submitting to nice people either. It's not just you as a Republican submitting to your Republican guys and as a Democrat submitting to your Democrat guys. It's no submitting to everybody in the government. Even if they're terrible, nasty, rotten people, you're supposed to submit to them. And that's where I think... It's a big time test, and all you gotta do is observe the political rancor around us to know that there's not very many holy people out there. If you hear what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, the chapter three. This does speak with like wives submitting to their husbands. I have no problem with that. I'm just gonna say that as a woman. It also says, "Don't let your adorning be external." I think a lot of that. The way this makes sense to me is that how much time am I spending on my outward appearance? Compared to what I'm spending on, you might use the phrase spiritual disciplines or um, focusing on my inner being. And I think, again, that ties in with the holiness thing. Like how much time am I working on those things he just mentioned in chapter two? Um, And then you can't make any jokes right now. Well, as your brother, I was just going to say that your inner beauty is always far outshone your external beauty. (laughs) Shut up. I know. I'm like, you know what? This is prime territory for a brother. You're setting it up. You set it up. How can a guy, you pitch the softball in there. I'm going to take a swing. I'm going to take a swing. I know. Also, the weaker vessel thing. It means physical. It's fine. You're fine. It is Doesn't fine. Doesn't mean yes. that men are smarter. There are always Actually, exceptions, but the general rule uh, is: when you want people to come to your house and put the fire out and carry you out the door, you want a man to do that, not a woman who can't pick you up. Right. It's Thank just you. the bottom line, and you're supposed to be. And this whole idea there is the weaker vessel is that you treat them with honor. And for the right. life of me, I cannot figure out why women are so opposed to that idea. Good grief. I would love to have somebody treat me with honor in my life. Ay, ay, ay. What are you people complaining about? I think, though, the problem is that men are not treating women with honor. Well, I understand like, that's that. The but problem. that's, why you, need the the, that's why you need the Holy Spirit and sanctification and stuff. And it's like if you're a woman who's paying attention to such things, you're going to find yourself a man who's going to do that. 
You know, if right. you're going on scriptural principles to choose somebody, I'm just saying, I don't know. I understand no, that no, men no. are creeps. I just arguing. don't get right. why women are so offended and want to throw this away. When to me, it's like, it's, it's beautiful. To me, I look at my wife. She is weaker than I am. She would admit that. I would admit that. My children would admit that. Everybody who knows this would admit that. And yet, because of that, when she leaves something out in the car, and I know she doesn't want to go out in the cold garage to get it, I go get it for her. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. how awesome would it be for me to like, you know, that to me, that's why it's cool to have kids, because now I could tell Jacob to go get stuff in a car for me. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, that's right. how is this not cool to have somebody, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Women, you're cool people. Yeah. I don't know why you're downing yourself so much trying to be like men. That's, that's terrible. Why would you want to be like us? I don't get it. I just don't get it. Mm-mm. Well, I'm not one of them, so... Two, though, like, it is also very beautiful, that idea of um, the husbands laying down their their lives. Um, Again, that kind of goes back more to Paul, like in Ephesians and so forth. But I never understood the problem with that either, because I'm like, um, (laughs) they're laying down their life for you. Like, why is that? Yeah, the whole issue has been so messed up because we're, we're viewing it after the flesh. And, and like right. every part of the Bible, if you view it after the flesh, it's not going to make any sense. But if you view it after the spirit, so that's why you always know when people have a problem with that kind of stuff, these are not people who are in the spirit. I mean, to me, I, I can't think any other reason why you'd be, because if you're in the spirit, you're just not going to read it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and to keep it within the context, too, I think some people get carried away with the context. Um, as far as like men, that you're just submitting to all men everywhere, well... No, it it does specifically say husband and wife. Right. So, okay, so let's move on. Yeah, chapter 3, verse 15. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That is a beautiful verse. And we should be living in a way that demonstrates hope. That's what inspires questions. And it's not just brushing up on your apologetics if somebody asks you, what are your five reasons for believing in God? And that's really not what he's talking about. He's talking about you are living with such hope that people are curious. How are you maintaining hope in this situation? And to me, that's, you know, it's cool. This To me, this is not an apologetics verse defending the faith. To me, this is, you are living in such a way that it, it inspires people to ask questions. And, of course, if you're out there complaining about Donald Trump and Barack Obama and your wife and everything else, no one is going to be asking you a reason for the hope that is in you. Because, again, this is the context that he's talking about. The complaining is demonstrating that you have no hope. So would you please stop complaining about your wife and your husband and your government and your boss and all these people that is exactly the opposite of what it means to be living with hope. Mm-hmm. I wrote that down just as you were saying it. So I'm sorry if there was the sound of me taking notes. Okay. Uh, chapter four and chapter five. I like five because of the shepherding. Of well, the let me flock. get one thing in four like, real quick here. Yep. 17 and 18. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved... Where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? <laughs> oh, Nelly. To the judgment heart. begin at the house of God. If the Christians in this world would 
try to fix the problems in their churches as much as they're trying to fix the government and everybody else out there in the world. Stop judging people in the world. They're doing exactly what it is people in the world do. We're supposed to be taking care of ourselves in the church, following Christ, living with hope. Pay more attention to your own dropping of the ball and living faith than you are with all of the stupid sins of the world. What did you think they were going to do? That's all. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm um, a little fired up. A little fired up today. Bring it. That's that's okay. Mm -hmm. Bring it, boy. Mm -hmm. All right. So the chapter five, the the exhortations for the elders, the shepherding the flock. Those are beautiful as well. That they should be humble and submitting themselves. And ugh, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble Again, yourselves, very... therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Yes. Humility. Okay, that finishes out First Peter. Moves into Second Peter, which, of course, is his second letter. What? And what blows my mind? Um, up at the top, I have want to be effective and productive. Go to work. So he, even in that first chapter, I have it underlined. He's like, make every effort, be diligent, practice. Again, he says, I will make every effort. So there's definitely like this idea of go to work, be diligent, follow through on these things. And that agrees with what you've been saying again about putting on and making a choice and this is what I will do this is what I won't do there's an active part to it well and you're not on your own because you're using the stuff that God has provided through the gospel verse 3 according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness you have everything you need that's not the question the question is are you going to use it and that mm. is where we drop the ball. And that's what Peter's trying to encourage them to pick it up and use it. Mm -hmm. You already um, got it. Steadfastness does show up there in verse 6. When he's going through his list of make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, Jeff. Now, steadfastness, I believe, is something love. that you could do. <laughs> okay, um, okay. Chapter 2 is all about warnings about false teachers. And this chapter 2 here is very similar to the book of Jude. A lot of overlap in what they're talking about here. Very concerned about false teachers. Second Peter, Jude, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. A lot of stuff about false teachers. And it seems to me as you progress toward the end of the epistles, like we're getting later on in date... Uh, the writings of these books, that their main concern is false teaching. You know, it's not so much about the Jews and the old law traditions and stuff. It's moving more into false teaching. And false teaching is what marks the age that we live in because we're not listening to the Bible, but we are listening to a lot of stupid ideas out there. So verse 3 of chapter 2, through covetousness, shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you? <laughs> Uh, verse 10, they despise governments. So again, people who are despising your government rulers, you are on the side of false teachers. Hello. Verse 19, 
No, please mention verse 16 where the speechless donkey got it and no one else did. The speechless donkey <laughs> got it, yes. Verse 19, while they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome of the same as he brought in bondage. A lot of false teachers out there promising you freedom, liberty, joy, just come follow us, health and wealth, beautiful things, and yet all they're doing is bringing you back under their bondage. Thanks. All right, into chapter three. Chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God always does what he says. So this is not a game. He always does what he says. And he is very patient, but he will do what he says. So just because he's not doing it right now doesn't mean he's not going to do it. It means he's waiting, and he is not willing that any should perish. That's why he's waiting so long, because he understands how harsh hell is, that's why he's waiting to give you a chance so you can respond before you get thrown there. And that idea there that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Stick that in your Calvinist pipe and smoke it. Ooh. <laughs> a little feisty Ooh. today. Ooh, a little feisty that today. That was a little feisty. A little feisty. How can it be feisty around Christmas? Because that's the perfect time of year to be feisty because I'm sick and tired of all the love and joy and peace. I'm just joking. I'm not sick of it. I know you are. I don't know. I just... You should call your brother-in-law. Sheesh. First John. First John. You know the motif I see in First John? It's light. Um, It's just light all over the place. And you know what I like? Nothing better than... What? Huh? You know, nothing better... No. What do you like better than nothing else? Better than better, anything uh, else? Uh, what do you... I'm assuming you like you know something I, here. I do like something. Okay. That is when it's winter and it's cold and dark and snow has fallen and then you see the light of your house and you're like, oh, home. And that's what First John makes me feel. That was my deep... Deep wow. insight into like, the words of John. It's like a, a now, Terry Redland past, picture going on here. P- Pastor Jeff. Yes. If I could, if I can ask you, mm. what John specifically is the John that wrote First, Second, and Third John? I think sometimes people get confused with that. What John wrote, John? Yeah. Which one is it? Because we disciple do disciple John that ran to the ran to the tomb first, and he laid at Jesus breast at the last supper how come everything about him is all about love because he was the beloved disciple and and he liked love was he did he play the guitar i don't think they had guitars then maybe the lute or the lyre he always was carrying his lute around Talks hey about guys liars i a lot came up with a little song i'd like to sing a song for you you say you have not sinned you are a liar that which was from the beginning. So chapter you know, one, like, he's mostly everyone talking. Everyone else was like rolling yeah, I'm their just, eyes. I'm just trying to get you to summarize here. Chapter one. <laughs> he's talking Chapter about, one is about the the word of life and walk in the light. And then talking about being Charlie honest Peacock about wrote sin. a song about that. Don't be a liar. You if could you be have a loop. sin, 
Don't be a liar. You have sin, you can take care of it, because we have an advocate with the Father. So that's cool. Chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So, again, this is the holiness idea, being separate, not uh, messing around with the common things in the world, but there's, you know, other things going on here. The three things you list there, lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, you can kind of tie those into the three aspects when Eve looked at the tree that it was good to eat. And uh, there's three things that list there in Genesis 3, and they seem to correlate fairly well with what John is talking about there in those three things in that verse 16 there. So... Don't love the world. John is very black and white. He's very cold. Not cold. He's very cut and dry about his statements. So a lot of people freak out about that. But uh, he's just, he's not playing games. You know, it's the typical apostle. He's not playing games. He's just telling you this is the way it is, people. Put that in your pipe and smoke yeah. it. Yeah. That's right. The focus on love, though, is cool because we were talking about a couple weeks ago, you were talking about love in that faith and carrying through on love is like the number one priority it should be in our lives it's a big deal that they're new testament okay um and then he has the thing at the very end that if you continue to sin that you're not of god because god can't have sin around so that's interesting yeah, again, he says things very black and white. Uh, the Greek tense of those words, I think, is is a significant part that the English doesn't always convey. It's talking about a habitual action, uh, ongoing thing. It's not that the believer can't sin, because he just said there, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So, I mean, it's still a possibility to will, and you can still save. It's not like you lost your salvation. Mm -hmm. But as a habitual sin, you should be overcoming those things. You should be doing battle with it. You should not be falling into it near as much as you did before you were saved, is, I think, the, the tense of what it is he's saying in those verses. Sin obviously does not fit with being holy. It just says, you know, it doesn't fit with being in Christ. To me, that's not mm -hmm. an arguable point. And so if that's the case, then knock it off, I think is what yeah. he's saying. The difference between sinning and doing something wrong, but then also like sitting down in the mud and just wallowing in it. Well, and, <laughs> and giving up. Like, Ooh, yeah. what's and just, going on? And just going for it and living in it like you did mm -hmm. before you were saved. That's, uh, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. That's not what a believer would do. Yeah. A believer would sin, but they would feel bad about it, want to overcome it, take the necessary, you know, provision there to get over it and, and, and mm -hmm. move on. So. Chapter 3, verse 2, I like, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope, let him purify himself, even as he is pure. So that's the idea, and this is the hope that we're going to be like Christ fully. I just talked about this this morning in my Christmas message, that that's who we're going to be. We're going to be like the Son of God when we see him as he is. So that's our future, that gives us hope. If you have this hope, you want to become like Christ, which means becoming pure. And then verse 7, 3, 7, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. And I love that verse because there's a lot of people who think they're justified today who want nothing to do with being righteous. And if you want nothing to do with righteous, I would caution you not to claim that you've been justified and made righteous if you're not doing righteousness because there's a lot of deception on that issue. And I think it's amazing 
that John thinks you're going to be deceived. So he says, seriously, people, think about this. The person who does righteousness, that's the one who's righteous. This is not uh, what they call uh, rocket surgery here. Rocket science. I know. Verse 17. Brain surgery. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? <laughs> so you've got the, the the love thing, you know. Everybody everybody likes love. Nobody has a problem with love. But John is very concrete what he thinks love is. Love means, like, actually, like, being helpful to people. Being so nice first, to your John, for 7 and 8, Beloved. Let us love one Let another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love, God is love, so we love it. Let's love one another, first John, So there's God is love, everybody talks about God is love, so therefore God's not going to send anybody to hell. That is not what that means, God is love means he loves, he's done everything necessary to save you, however you need to respond to that. Therefore our responsibility now is to love people just as Christ loved us, we love him because he first loved us, love, 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 love. Verse 20, if a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Hello! How you know you love God? Everybody says they love God. You don't even know God. You've never seen him. How do you know? So, take a look at the people you have seen. Do you love them? If the answer is no, then I would strongly suggest you stop saying you love God. I love John. Chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous, because again, John talking about love. Everybody loves love. Nobody's against love, Kelly. But we all define love our own little goofy way. So John says, make sure you understand that the love of God means keeping his commandments. And if that's grievous to you, if that's a heavy, burdensome weight for you to, oh, I have to do what God says, then you do not know the love of God. Verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. That is usually considered by most to be the key verse of First John. Because he's talking about assurance, this is how you know you're saved. You're not saved because you feel like you're saved. You're not saved because you say you're saved. You're saved. The way you know that is when a new life shows up in you and love becomes part of who you are. That is First John. I love that book. All right. Second John. This is really short. 13 Second verses. Second John. Very short book. It's all about false teaching. Uh, my favorite verses are 10 and 11. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. And all of that, those verses remind me of my father this one time. There was some Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, I forget who, they came to the door. And my dad was like, not today, son. And they were arguing out there. And then finally the guy left and he said to my dad, because he knew my dad was pastor, he said to my dad, he said, well, I, I, wish, I wish you well in your ministry. And my father said to him, I wish I could say the same for you. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Maybe that's where I get a little bit of feistiness from. Maybe. Yeah, so Second John, it's all about false teaching. Third John, more stuff about false teaching. Verse 4 is probably the coolest verse in there. People like, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Very true. Verse 9, I write unto the church. 
but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. So there's people in the church that are wanting to rule, wanting to take over, have the preeminence. And the people who want to be in control generally don't want anything to do with people who like the truth. So apparently they're having some troubles with him. So again, most of the most of the uh, last epistles that are written are all about warning people in the church. This is this is not a warning about the world. This is not a warning about the Jews. This is a warning about false teaching, and it's all over mm -hmm. the place in the church today because we are not listening, because we forgot that judgment begins at the house of God. We're too busy judging all the homosexuals and the abortionists and everybody else out there when we should be taking care of our own house. Ay ay ay. Then we got the little book Imitate of Jude. Good. Bye. Dun, 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 dun. Hey, Jude. Jude is a servant of Jesus Christ, and he was the brother of James. Yes, which means he's the half-brother of Christ. Yes. So his overall theme is... False teaching. Watch false out teaching. for them false teachers. Yeah. It reads very similar to Second Peter, particularly chapter 2. Verse 3, he's got that cool little phrase in there, to earnestly contend for the faith. You uh, lost me a little bit there, I'm going to be honest. What? You said chapter 2. You meant verse 3. Uh, I said... Right? I said Second Peter chapter 2 is very similar to the book of Jude. Oh, I'm Jude sorry, is very I misunderstood. Because then you Peter said verse 3. Yeah. I found it necessary. Okay, I'm sorry. Right. I'm saying he's similar to Second Peter, particularly chapter 2. Yeah. Then, in Jude, verse 3, the phrase, to earnestly contend for the faith, is a cool phrase. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then certain people have crept in unnoticed. Those, those are the false teachers, right? They're bringing in the bad stuff. Yep. They're perverting the grace of God. Yep. The last couple of verses there I like, verse 21 through 23, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. And mm -hmm. first of all, the urgency there of pulling people out of their sin, the urgency of trying to save people and are contending for the faith. This is not an intellectual exercise where we're just trying to get really good at Bible trivia. This actually is stuff that you can learn and apply to help save people's lives. And yet even there, each person, I think kind of the idea of those verses that you have to take a different tactic with different people. Some people you just need to grab them by the neck and drag them out. Other people, you just have compassion. You just show them some mercy and some love. They don't need to be manhandled anymore. They've been manhandled enough. They just need some compassion and acceptance. So it's interesting. We like the cookie-cutter approach to treat everybody the same so we don't have to think about stuff. But that's generally not how people work, and I don't think that's what the New Testament says to do. Mm -hmm. I like that. That's good. And then, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. I love that benediction there. Yeah. It's very cool. It's good for uh, Christmas season, too, because he came with great joy, our God and Savior. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. All right, 
That finishes up Jude. Next week, we will cover the final book of the Bible. In our penultimate (laughs) week's reading, what did you see about the characteristic of God? I think if you start with the concept of holiness, you know, that's a big issue through there. And, you know, these apostles, like I have said several times, as we're running out of time here, this is the last messages that are concluding the Bible, that they are very concerned about the church and where it's going to go because they know, they just know that people aren't going to do any of this stuff and that we're just going to start listening to false teaching our whole lives and we're not going to pay attention, we're not going to... We're just not going to deal with the truth, and we're not going to come apart to be holy. We're going to start viewing that as legalistic burden and chore, and, you know, falling from grace, and all the other things that people accuse you of, of taking when you take the Bible seriously, and it's just, I don't know, the evangelical world today, I think, is so sad. It's just so sad, because we've, we've got the good news, and we're totally blowing it. And I think this is exactly what the New Testament authors knew was going to happen. The Bible seems pretty clear the church is basically going to tank and by the time Christ comes back there's going to be about eight people left who are saved just like it was when there was that whole flood thing and uh boy howdy like the last stuff that Paul wrote first and second Timothy it's all about the fact that people are not going to endure sound doctrine they're just they're not going to hang in there and they're certainly not going to do it they're not even going to believe it let alone do it and that's that's that seems to be all what all the last books of the New Testament you know date wise it's what they're all concerned with. And here we are living 2,000 years later. They were exactly right. And judgment needs to begin at the house of God. We need to stop worrying about everybody in the world and complaining about Donald Trump. And we need to start taking sin seriously in our lives and in our churches and start dealing with the truth. Amen. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. No, right. this is the truth. Made manifest. Lived among us. Gave himself for us. And we're trampling him underfoot so we can have kicks and giggles and entertainment. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. It's sad. It's just sad. It's just sad, Kelly. It's just sad. I know. I'm sorry. A speechless donkey could get it. I believe when I preached through there, I actually it actually came out of my mouth that even a stupid ass could get it. Well, I mean, everyone knew that that's, that's what, he's what we were implying. That's yep. what he's saying. That's exactly what so he's I'm saying. So I'm just going with what it says. And I think yep. the point is appropriate to wake people up. That seriously, people, come on. All right. That is 51 <laughs> of our I apologize podcast. to everybody. Have a Merry Christmas. No, it's fine. It's good. Joy it's to the fun. world and all that stuff, you know. Yay. It's fine. That's an element of it. To me, much of, Christi- much of Christmas in the church today is the triumphal entry. It's just, it's just, it's more irritating than anything. I don't know. That's just where I'm at. So anyway, I'll mm-hmm. just stop talking. Okay. Okay. Why don't you stop talking and have a Merry Christmas. You're not wrong. I think there's an element to it and that's all good. That's good. It's just that we have to stop this at some point. <laughs> just... So we can I know, say I'm sorry. Merry Christmas. No. And Happy New Year. You don't have to say you're sorry. Have a nice time reading Revelation. Uh, I know. Enjoy Revelation <laughs> over the <laughs> the holiday break. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll cover that and we will explain everything and we will fully, like, implicitly explain what each 
symbol symbolic image means we will completely explain revelation within what 30 minutes maybe i can 32. only assume that your use of the plural pronoun we is actually supposed to be kelly will do all of that me i'll explain how the bees are the russian drones coming to get us <laughs> uh, spoiler alert <laughs> spoiler alert <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, okay, we'll cover Revelation. I look forward to doing that, mostly because it's our last podcast that I have to do with you. Yeah, so, amen. Till then, carry on. God bless us all, everyone. Goodbye. Okay, bye. <laughs>